What is up, everyone? This is Avery Smith, creator of Data Career Jumpstart and Snow Data Science. Welcome back to the Data Career Podcast, the podcast that gives you, the data enthusiast, the tools you need to build an amazing data career, whether that's breaking into data science, landing a senior data position, or building a new data team or product. This podcast is here to help. Episode 17. What is data management? My interview with Scott Taylor, the data whisperer, and what an exciting episode we have ahead of us. Scott is such a cool guy, really fun to talk to, really fun to listen to, has a ton of experience, ton to share, ton of value. Um, I had a blast talking to him. In this episode, we talked about data governance and data management. What are they? What does that actually mean? You know, you might hear the phrase master data. What does that even mean? Uh, We talked about Scott's decades of experience in the data industry, including working for one of the biggest data juggernauts out there, Nielsen, that does a bunch of media ratings. And we we hear about his experience there and how he helped shape part of their product line um, and how his use of branding has helped him build an amazing career. I'm always personally very impressed with with Scott's branding. Uh, He's fantastic. He's one of the best in the business. Uh, branding. Let's start with his name, the Data Whisperer. Catchy, great, sounds good, gives you an idea of what he's about. You remember it very quickly. Then, of course, there's his uh, Truth Hat. We talk about that in the podcast right off the bat. He's always wearing his Truth Hat. Um, and then, of course, he has puppets, if you didn't know. He uses puppets to illustrate the points he's trying to illustrate. Um, and it's very memorable and, and very effective. We talk about that a little bit later in the episode. Very creative. He started doing this internally at a job. So like imagine working at your company and you show up to meetings with puppets. Like that is insane. I can't believe he did that. Very cool story. Definitely want to check that out. Um, If you want to learn more from Scott, you can check out his book, Telling Your Data Story. That is available on Amazon. I think I'm actually going to go purchase it right now. I have a link in the show notes below. And also you can catch... Uh, Scott as the host of the Master Data Marathon later this year, September 29th through September 30th. And I'll have a link to that with a coupon code uh, in the show notes as well. Um, With that, that's all I got for you guys. Hope you guys enjoy episode 17. A quick note from our sponsor and we'll get right into the interview. Thanks guys. See you later. Bye-bye. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Data Career Podcast. Super excited for uh, today's guest. Um, We have an awesome guest. We have Scott Taylor. I'm really excited to introduce him. You can see him on this side of the screen right here with his with his truth hat. Scott, explain explain the truth hat. What? Tell me about the truth hat. In data, there's truth and there's meaning. There's data management and there's business intelligence. You have to determine the truth first before you derive meaning. I'm obviously on the truth team, hence the meaning of my truth hat, but it's not chicken or egg here. It is egg and omelet. If you do not have truth in data, you're not going to get very good meaning. All right. Th- there you go. You guys heard it here first. Or I guess maybe not first, probably for not the first. No, time. No, first. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if, if you guys have ever seen Scott before, which you probably have because he's all over the place on lots of podcasts and, and lots of shows, he's he's usually, is it an always or is it a usually, Scott? What? Which one? Are you always or usually wearing the truth hat? 
I'm usually wearing the truth. Hat. Okay. That is the truth about, about the truth hat. Um, anyways, if you're watching, go ahead. And, uh, if you're watching live, that is go ahead and, uh, throw in a, where are you watching from? Tell me where you're watching from. Introduce yourself. Scott and I will say hi. Um, hi. but yes. Um, as you can see, Scott's really awesome. I'm going to go ahead and introduce him formally now. Scott Taylor, the data whisperer, am I right? Yeah. Uh, is a sought after speaker, author, and data evangelist. He has over 45,000 followers on LinkedIn. That's a lot of and followers. Counting. And counting. And counting. <laughs> it might have gone up since since now. I don't know. I, I wrote this, I think, a day or two ago. So okay. Maybe it's maybe it's gone up quite a bit. Uh, he has spent over he spent over two decades solving master data challenges with companies like Nielsen and Microsoft. He's the author of Telling Your Data Telling Your Data Story, which is available on Amazon. Definitely go check that out. Oh, got it right there. Check that out. And he'll be moderating the Master Data Marathon 3.0, which is an online event with 24 straight hours of data talk, which happens this September 29th and 30th. Definitely want to connect with Scott Taylor, at least on LinkedIn. And I'm so stoked to have Scott on my show. Glad to be here, Avery. What a great introduction. 26.2 hours as a proper marathon. We're going mileage to hours. That was actually the idea of our mutual friend, Kate Strachny, who's always got value to add no matter what conversation. But we're around the world, around the clock, and I do all that other crazy stuff. Absolutely. Do, do, do you stay up for the full the full? I stay up for the full, yes, I do. Yes, we have like a break, a small sort of rest break where we replay some of the morning stuff for basically the Asia Pacific uh -huh. hemisphere. Uh -huh. But otherwise, yeah, I'm up the whole time. Pretty wow. Much. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's crazy. The other two. So yeah, it gets, it gets pretty wacky in those wee hours. Anybody watching <laughs> that wants to, we've got a discount. Why as well plug it. If you're interested in the MDM marathon, MDM 50 is the discount code. Go to thinklinkers.com and they'll set you up. Sweet. Yeah. That's, that's good to know. I, I think that's definitely a, a cool event and, and one unlike uh, any other. So any other. there's nothing else like it. Nothing. Yeah, else. definitely okay. take advantage of it. I just want to give some quick shout outs to some people that uh, mentioned that they're watching. Robert, how are you, man? Yeah. Nice always see you someday and eventually you'll uh, remove the mask from the, from the, the little headshot, but we love it anyway. Robert, yes. always see you popping up in yep. the feed. Watching That's from good. Albuquerque. From Albuquerque. That's great. We got Jared watching from Orem, Utah. I'm in Linden, Utah. That's about oh. five miles away or less. So, oh, really? Oh, do you, know close. you know each other? I don't know you, Jared. Jared, we should know each other. Go oh, to the let's... Data Diner somewhere in Utah. <laughs> hang out. Yeah, for sure. Or, or, and, and when, when I'm in Utah, I am always hiking. So, I, I want okay. people to go on hikes with me. So, Jared, let's go for a hike sometime. Okay. We got Ranjit, um, Rachid from Morocco. That's Morocco. far away. Okay. If you go straight east from my apartment in a kayak, I looked at it on the on the globe here. Straight east, you hit Morocco. You just keep like, going without, without altering your course. Yeah. Well, I don't even know where you're at, Scott. Where, where are you based at? I am in... Black Rock, Connecticut, Data Whisper World Headquarters, high atop the Fairweather Tower and Resort in beautiful Black Rock, Connecticut, on the shores of the Herman Beach. It's fantastic here. So, 
Wow, you yeah, had that I'm, nailed. Looking out, that's my kind of quick intro usually when I go live. If you look out that way, you'll see 70 miles of Long Island coastline across the Long Island Sound. I got a kayak. I go right off the parking pier. I've got like billion-dollar views in this apartment building, which is an incredible eyesore to the rest of the neighborhood. But we don't have to look at it because we're in it. So we uh, just look at the views. All these idyllic New England town, little uh, lighthouse, boats going by, 60 boats in my backyard in the Jeez. summertime, all moored over there. But uh, it's, it's spectacular. I don't, I don't feel like going anywhere else. It's great. It's been here great. Hey, that that's awesome. I'm glad I'm glad to glad to hear that. It, it's nice to love where you live. So yes, I'm I'm really glad that that you love that. Um, and and thank you everyone else who's who's watching. Who maybe I haven't I haven't said where you're watching from, but but thank Winnipeg. you guys. Appreciate you all. Yeah. Um, and if you're listening afterwards on the podcast, hello to all you podcast listeners because this will be up probably by the end of the day, if not tomorrow, at the Data Career Podcast. Okay. Um, Okay, so let, let's get into it, Scott. You and I have interacted a couple times on LinkedIn, obviously commented on each other's posts. We're in a couple group messages together. Yeah. This is our first time talking, I guess, face-to-face. -face. It is our first time. Yes, it is. I was thinking that too. That's kind of amazing because we already sort of know each other, the power of social media, yet we've never spent any direct time together. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. That is the power of social media. Yes. Yes, exactly. And and hopefully we'll meet actually face-to-face um, sooner, someday, sooner someday, than someday. later. Um, but for those who haven't heard about you, we talked a little bit about your truth hat. Um, you're, you're a data. Well, actually, I guess you're the data whisperer, right? That's, that's your title. Um, but you do a lot with, with data governance, master data. Um, I'm, I'm a data scientist. So I do things like with data visualization, machine learning, kind of further down the end, you're kind of at the beginning of the cycle of data, just yep. for all of those, all of us dumb people who don't know anything, what is data, data governance? What does that phrase actually mean? The truth, determining the truth for your organization. Data governance, data management, data stewardship, master data, reference data, MDM, RDM, PIM, DAM, all these foundational activities that create and steward and distribute the content that everyone down the data line uses. So your data science activity is directly is inextricably linked to the output of your data management group wherever you are working. You know, where do you get the data from? It's got to be well managed. It's got to be well structured. So as you suggest, I'm where data starts. You're where data ends up. Both are important in every data journey, literally. But if you don't start right, you're not going to end up correctly. And most people don't really spend enough time on the data management side as far as, as far as I've seen, as far as I'm concerned. So I'm out there preaching and evangelizing on the, yes, Jared, garbage in, garbage out, rubbish in, rubbish out. I like to say goodness in, goodness out. That works too. But I elevate that comment to the notion of the golden rule of data. Do upon your data as you would have it do upon you. <laughs> oh, I, I like that. That sounds that sounds familiar. I've heard something similar to that before. It, it was probably from me. <laughs> yeah, or or some guy starts with a J or something like that. That's um, awesome. <laughs> that, that's awesome. So yes, he, he he initiated the first version of that. That's true. You're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so it's it's like. 
you're at the very start of data um, and, and help me out here. So that's, that's like making sure we know where our data is coming from, what format it's coming in as, like, how are we collecting it? Is, is that, that's that type of the stuff? That, yeah, that more like the collection about? and true management of it. So data has got to be mastered. It's got to be structured. If you have a, let's say anything you're doing in data science has to do with customers, probably a little bit or brands. Mm -hmm. That's basically what a business is all about, how to deliver value to your relationships through your brands at some form of scale is what I've seen every company try and do. So that, that, that relation, that data about those relationships, customers, vendors, partners, prospects, whatever the citizens, patients, consumers, clients, whatever you call your relationships, that's got to come from somewhere internally. The challenge, the classic challenge is that every organization, certainly at the an enterprise, which is the space that I live in, the enterprise space, you've got multiple systems, you've got different departments that are supported by those systems. They create different versions of what ends up being the same thing. What a customer is in your FinTech system might be an account in your ERP. It might be a company in Salesforce. You know, you got different names for these. All that stuff's got to get standardized and structured in a way that the rest of an organization can, can trust it, can depend on it and do the rest of the work they want to do. Yeah. Okay. So that makes sense. It's like, making sure team A and team B are calling things the same way they're classifying it. You know, like for instance, like you said, are they customers or are they partners or are they clients? Um, making sure that all of, all of the kind of like the, I don't want to call it the metadata, but like the ideas behind the data are matched up across an organization. Yeah. And it is metadata. Metadata is part of it. Metadata, reference data, master data, all the kind of, you know, boring stuff that people think, oh, what's that? Why do I need that? You add a lot of insight, right? So data scientists add insight. They add yeah. KPIs, indicators, intentions, direction to be using that data. Where, how do you put it in a business context to drive some form of action? I look at all that. If you think of like a really fancy data visualization technique, let's call it a table. People are really good at columns. They're not so good at rows. You got to line the rows. So in a, in a hyper simplistic way, data management makes the rows happen. Business intelligence are, are the columns. That, that's truth, truth meaning. I try to boil this stuff down to the, to its essence in some way. So the business side, which we're both going after for funding and support and engagement can understand what the heck we're talking about. Okay. Yeah. I, I think, I think that makes sense. Um, and that, that word or that phrase keeps getting thrown around ma master data. What, what is master data? Master data is the common business data shared across an organization systems and processes and departments. If you look okay. at Wikipedia, it should still be in there. That's my definition. I put in Wikipedia from a white paper. I battle with people because sometimes they take it out because they think it's too simple. I'm sorry if I'm too simple for you. I'm trying to explain it to people who don't know what you're talking about. That's the point. You got to be, you know, simple doesn't mean easy. It means accessible. So, you know, I try and really kind of boil it down. But master data is what they're the nouns of the business. That's what they're commonly referred to as. 
So any analytics you do, what is that analytics about? Mm. What it's about is the master data part of it. Oh, we're just trying to determine the, you know, our, our, our product penetration. Okay, product. What's a product? Do you have that defined somewhere? Is that structured? Mm. Is it a is it a variant or a flavor of a product that's really part of a product set that's part of a bigger brand, that's part of a master brand, that's part of a, you know, that hierarchy yeah. structure that's got to be done somewhere in a way that everybody understands all those roll-ups. Same things with relationships, ship twos, build twos, plan twos, sell twos, you know, what level your CEO interacts at a, at a customer is different than the level that maybe the account team or the level that the shipments go to, but they're all part of this thing called customer. And you've got to have a standardized, well-managed view of that. Otherwise you don't know what you're looking at. So yeah. it, gets, it gets really complicated, really confusing, really quickly. So we're just here trying to clarify the space. Anur, Onur, hopefully I pronounced that right. Thank you. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree. I think I think you explained that that very well, Scott. I hope um, so. That's all I do. That's all. <laughs> like people get confused sometimes because they 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 start asking me or get pretty deep into how you do stuff. I'm all about the why. I don't touch yeah. the how. I just talk about how people talk about the data management side of the space and try to help people explain it in a business accessible fashion, so they can get support and funding and all the other things they're looking for. Okay. Yeah. And, and that makes sense. But, but let me ask you this, the data whisperer, let me ask you this, right? What, what if I don't do data governance? What if I, I'm just like, ah, I don't really care about that. I'm just not going to do it. What happens to me as an organization? As an organization, then your data is going to suck. So, <laughs> and if your data sucks, then your analytics suck. So if all you want to do is do data science, then it's going to, you know, to push that metaphor, it's going to blow up in your test tubes on your lab. It's not going to work. You could do something in a nice little Petri dish. You could try, you know, three things and this might work for some kind of, you know, indication of some propensity to do whatever, but you want to put it in a production. You can't unless you've got this structured content that you can depend on. You're even before you get to data science, if you don't do data governance, then are you billing the right people? Are you shipping stuff to the right place? Are you in an e-commerce platform that doesn't, expose what your product really is to the folks who might want to buy it. It's, you know, you're, you're doomed and uh, everybody does some form of it, especially in areas like finance. That's kind of where it all started. In my view, the chart of accounts, here's our list of, you know, who we're getting money from that better be right. If you have, if you don't govern that you're in, you're going to be in a world to hurt. If you don't govern your data, then you'll get a data breach and you'll blow your brand up because everybody will think you didn't treat the data the right way. So they're really at the enterprise level, there is no option. If you need, <laughs> if you need somebody to say that, I'll say that. It's not like, let's just do data science because it's so cool and it does all this fancy stuff and we hire all these people and we can do all. That's like saying, I'm just want to cook. I don't care about the ingredients. I just want to cook and have a good meal, but we're not going to go shopping. We don't care. <laughs> what buy. I don't want. And so that makes zero sense, right? 
yeah. same thing in my view as not doing data governance, but wanting to do business intelligence or analytics of any sort. You can't do it. You can't cook a meal unless you got ingredients. Yeah. If the, if the beginning is missing, it doesn't really matter how hard you try or how good you are at the ending steps. If like uh, Jared said earlier, garbage in garbage out, you know, you got to get that first step nailed. Um, how, 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 how directly influenced is the quality of a meal, right? You want to have a good meal. What's the connection between a good meal and the ingredients that make the meal up? Uh, I, I would say yeah. definitely part of it. Yes. I, yeah. You know, you can be a great cook. You can have, you know, I've got this new equipment. I got this Viking stove and I got all this other wonderful stuff and I'm ready to go. And you bought a bunch of crappy ingredients. doesn't matter how good you are. So yeah. I know you need all that other stuff, but the one thing that will make sure it doesn't work is bad data. Bad ingredients. Yeah. I like I like the analogy. It makes sense. Um, I I worked for Exxon Mobil, which is right. a kind of a big company um, for Say for two years. Yes. Yeah, it's it's pretty big. Um, and obviously, with a large organization with lots of data, you run into these problems a lot. Um, and I definitely think we could have used uh, a, a Scott Taylor data butt whipping session to to whip us all into shape because I do data butt whipping for hire. So anybody yeah. out there, I call it data evangelism as a service, but maybe it'll be you know we'll extend the brand to call it butt whipping. But yeah, you got to get these people riled up, let them know that it's important. I mean, Exxon Mobil's got data governance; they've got it. I don't know how exposed you were to it. I often wonder how much of the data science community is really engaging with the data management community. Because when I hear data scientists talk about and almost brag about how, you know, 60 to 90 to 120% of their time is spent munging and wrangling data. I believe that a lot of that can be avoided if they've got better data to begin with. Mm. And that better data is going to come if you're in an enterprise and you're in data science, you must reach out and connect with the data governance, data management side of the business. And not like the tech folks who are just plugging the APIs in because yeah. that's just plumbing. That's got to work. But they don't, they're not, they're not in charge of quality and consistency and structure. Get to the, you know, the true data leaders and find out where the good stuff is. Yeah, that that's interesting because I I hate that statistic that it's like 80% of data science work is data cleaning. I have found that not to be true Good. in in both of my, you know, my jobs in industry. Um so I, I guess you're right. I guess the the data governance had to at least be somewhat good to to get to that that point, you know. Um but and I challenge that. I challenge people who say that and go, "Okay, so if you're a data scientist and you spend 80% of your time data cleaning, what are you really?" A data janitor. Yeah, you're a data janitor. Exactly. So <laughs> if, if, if you spend most of your time doing something, no matter what your title is, that's what you are. <laughs> so yeah. you don't want to do that either if you're a data scientist. You don't want to be doing that crappy stuff. So yeah. get better data. Better data is better. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, and, and something you said that, uh, and also this question from owner right here, he says, who should be responsible for data governance, data engineers or somebody like governance engineers? So you know, I was it's, making, 
Yeah, it's, I mean, I wouldn't say engineer necessarily. It's a leader somewhere in the data management that, you know, if you have a CDO, it's there. That's who's responsible for it. And, CDO uh, being chief data, chief officer, data officer, right? Yeah, yeah. I know yeah. some people have CDO chief digital officer. I'm like, why? Why is digital a thing like its own thing? What that's like it's pretty broad. You know, that's like having a CMO, a chief marketing officer, and also a chief, I, I don't know, TV officer. It's like a form of yeah. I mean, digital is everything. Digital is technology. It's hardware. It's software. It's data. It's data management. So I don't get that part of it. The, there's probably some CDOs, chief digital officers who could explain that to me, maybe, but wondering why that's a C-level role. Yeah, that doesn't, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um I know you're, um, I guess you guys are not related. You're not related to Ben Taylor, right? No, no. We're uh, brothers from different parents, <laughs> not even from different mothers, different mothers, different fathers. Okay. Yes. Uh, I but, remember uh, he, he, alphabetically, we're very close. You guys are very close. Yeah. That, that's very true. Um, I remember he had a LinkedIn post one day and was basically like, you are not a top tier company or, or it's hard to be a top tier company if you do not have a CDO, at least it's hard in the future. I thought that was a really interesting comment um, yeah. because it is such a big part. Yeah, finally, you got to get data out of the IT space, out of the IT, because they focused primarily, it took decades, it seems, for the markets to realize this, but the tendency was more information technology rather than information. Yeah. And it was like, oh, the business has the data. And the business is like, well, I thought you had the data. It goes in computers. Don't you <laughs> have computers? Well, yeah, but you didn't give me the requirements. Yeah, but I didn't even know what they were. So it's like this bickering goes on forever. So it's, a CBO, I think, is the personification of uh, business-oriented management, accountability of data and analytics, right? Data-oriented stuff for an organization. Yeah, that I think that makes sense. And as we're talking, it seems like to me, and with owner's question, it seems like data governance's responsibility is to dream up what the data should look like and organize it. Like this is the ideal situation for our data. Data engineer's job is to format and structure that data in a way that follows someone from data governance's vision to make it all easy for someone like on the back end, like an analyst or a data scientist to, to do the, the analyses necessary to, to bring, you know, the value to, to some sort of a company. But, but if you don't get that first step right, you're done. Yeah. Yeah. That's a reasonable explanation. Okay. Okay. Um, Good job. Hey, thanks. Well, <laughs> you taught me. I, so if I got, if I got it wrong, it was, it was your fault. Just kidding. Uh, uh, take all the credit. Nice going. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. Here's the question. Is data management and data governance synonymous or what's the difference between the two? There's differences. I don't get too deep into it. You want to ask okay. someone like, you know, George Vericon or Nicola Ascom or, you know, these real data governance. I'm not a practitioner. So I talk about data management holistically as a practice area, especially versus business intelligence, which I lump everything that isn't data management into mm -hmm. and kind of bifurcate the space into determining the truth, deriving meaning, data management, business intelligence, 
you know, within data management, data governance, data stewardship, data, you know, all those other things. And there's a lot of debate, some of it good, some of it just kind of echo chamber-ish around is data management, is data engineering, is data ops, is data, it's like, okay, making it and using it. When you talk to business, I've spent a disproportionate time in front of senior leaders at organizations. They don't care about all that little minutiae stuff. So it, it, so I try to help it, when they think of data too, they don't think of like data, data analytics and artificial intelligence, ML, yeah. and auto ML and all that segmentation is meaningless to them because it's not part of what they need to care about. Big picture stuff. Even just, even just saying, okay, you've got analytics, business intelligence that puts data in a business context to drive action. You've got data management that stewards and manages and governs that content. So the action that you take is you're confident in it. You got to, again, it's back to this. You got to do both. And I'm always pitching the data management side because business intelligence, whatever iteration it is, is super sexy. It's got all the heat. It gets all the spotlight. And, and at sometimes pits itself want to get me on a rant here it pits itself competitively against the data management side mm. and i hate that so an example is i have seen time and time again analytics leaders stand up and make ridiculous comments like it's not about the data it's about the insight or data without you know bi is worthless i'm like shut up why do you have to make it competitive why does it have to be us versus you you're talking about you know the work that with the people that i work with you never hear back to my food analogy you would never ever hear a baker say you know flour is worthless until i make it into bread because they respect the ingredients yeah and i think it's incumbent i mean i'll reach out here to the data science community the analytics community and say just stop pitting us against each other because what the business hears it hears us bickering and yeah. your stuff isn't any good without our stuff. And I'll, you know, I'll take the gauntlet on any of those BI leaders and go, not so fast. I've heckled people lightheartedly at conferences who say stuff like that. It's like, no, it isn't. <laughs> I want to witness that. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, there was this analyst from a premier analyst group and she's up there and she's talking on stage about how, okay, it's not about the data. It's about the information. And this is kind of where I got this riff from. And she wanted everybody to repeat it. She's like, okay, repeat after me. It's not about the data. It's about the information. And I yelled, no, it's not. It's about both. I like that. And really, what's the point? Um, yeah, totally. It's it's like saying your hands better than your eye versus your nose. It's like it. you know, yeah. It's just like let's get on with it. We need you know we both need each other. That's why yeah. I did the thing on data storytelling for data management because as usual, I looked at the space, listened to you know data storytelling is probably the hottest non technical thing going on in the data space today. Tons of books about it. I learned about it. I went, what's this all about? I look and it's like. Okay, typical hot thing going on in data. It's about business intelligence. It's about analytics. It's about, you know, visualization. That's great. It's important. I got a lot of friends in that space, but I looked at it and went, okay, there's an opportunity here to tell a story about the data, 
mm. making it versus telling stories with data and using it. And that distinction is the definition of my niche in the space, telling stories about the data. You need both, not mm -hmm. Sophie's choice here. You don't have to choose. Every organization needs both kinds of stories. But if you can't tell a story about why making data is important to your organization, you're not gonna get the support you need. Mm, I see. And, th and that's what your book's really about. It's, it's yeah. about the combination of kind of the start of data, you know, caring about our data, making sure our data is structured. We have a plan. We understand what different terms mean. We have, you know, that single source of truth and how that influences the data story that comes out at the end. Is, is that, am I understanding that right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's data storytelling for data management, as I say on here, 99% buzzword free. Um, and just putting that rationale together in a compelling way, focusing on business alignment. How does what you do or why does what you do in data management enable the strategic intentions of your enterprise? Where's your business trying to mm. go? Data management will help you get there. If you believe as I do to my core that your business is trying to provide value to your relationships through your brands at scale, the scale part is hardware, software, data. You have data, you need data management. There's a role, there's a place for the data management community in that statement and in every organization. And I was inspired by a career of talking to great data leaders on the data management side who had this combination of incredible passion for what they were trying to do and intense frustration because of the inability for their organization to understand it. Yeah. And my place in the space is being that story, helping them tell that story. I don't do that work. Mm -hmm. I just talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> so that, hey, that's, that sounds, that sounds good. How, how, how did you get this? How did you get to this point? Like, how did you get to that niche and, I guess, like, what what was your career like to put yourself into this position? How did you get started with data in the first place? I I started off in sales, so that helps because if you can't tell a story in sales, you don't make quota and you're gone. So you have to be able to tell a story. My whole family is a bunch of storytellers. My family's in my sister and my father and mother. They all had they were on PR. Oh. Public relations. I consider myself the white sheep of the family here, um, being just in uh, in kind of marketing for the sales for for data products. But it's it's all we're all part of the same thing. It's how do you put a story together, whether it's about a product or a service or an idea. But we believe our superpowers that we can convince people of things. That's our family. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, so far yeah. you've convinced so, me. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So I started off in sales. My first job was in data was at a data company and they hired me to be a salesperson for this data product. I knew the business. I knew the company because it was part of another company that I had worked for publishing company. These folks had a data business that was related to this magazine business. I was working for the magazine side. I went off, but then I reconnected with the head of the data part of the business who had sold that to an organization that eventually became Nielsen. Mm. So that's a brand name. Everybody knows in the data yep. space. 
And the first day they came in to teach me the pitch and they brought a stack of printouts, you know, slides in those days. This was just early. I don't think PowerPoint was out yet. So it dates me. And they, they said, here, let's take you through the pitch. And before they even opened the book, I thought to myself, this thing is way too long. I, don't, I can't, <laughs> they, they, whatever it is, I don't care what it is. Nothing that thick should be your story. Uh-huh. If you're, and it just started from there. So I was immediately successful at this data organization because I could convey what they were trying to do in really simple, direct ways. And I had to figure it out on my own because the way they were explaining it to me was really too complicated. It had lots of jargon in it. It was really confusing. It had way too many slides. It had way too many ideas. It didn't have, it wasn't grounded in the essence of what it did. And I started off in door-to-door selling. So if you can't hit it immediately, you literally get the door slammed in your face. I was B2B. I never did like home selling. That's kind of creepy, but I went to businesses <laughs> and sold the maps when I got out of college. That in essence was my first foray into location data. If you want uh-huh. to really back it. I like to back into like it all made sense. You know, you kind of like take your life and kind of, yeah. like, oh, there's a through line here, but it's a way to position it. So I worked at this data company and we were, we, we changed the nature of the business. I started off as a line salesperson. I ended up being general manager of the entire organization, mostly because I helped reposition and reconfigure what we did and how, you know, why it was important. I didn't really change the product. I wasn't in charge of that so much. If anything, I helped get rid of a bunch of ancillary things that weren't directly connected to the core value proposition. But I used to, the story I would tell about our change in story was like, you know, Arm and Hammer baking soda. People bought it, you know, every time they moved and uh, you'd use it in baking if you did scratch baking. But the people at Arm and Hammer started to realize, you know what, if we position this differently, let's put it in the refrigerator. Let's make it a branded ingredient. Let's literally pour it down the drain. <laughs> what you can buy it for genius yeah. that was all marketing interesting the product was the same thing they didn't change yeah. baking soda they changed the way it could be used and why it was important and the data we had at nielsen in the part of the space in the part of the company that i was in we didn't change the data we changed the story around it primarily and it 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 caught on it was great it was it was a blast so i never kind of looked back and it was a master data service it was a mm. master data kind of outsourcing master file maintenance it was a it was a universal customer list in this case it was start off with every supermarket in the country we had a list of every supermarket and everybody who wants to put a product in a supermarket needs to know where all the supermarkets are they mm-hmm. either find them themselves or we did it for them Ah, I Super. see. It was a big fancy list of stores. And uh, that's what we did. The bit I used to do is like, you know, people would ask my kids, what does your dad do? Well, he knows where all the stores are. <laughs> oh. oh, so your mother works. That's that was <laughs> And uh, 
that's kind of what we so we had this list of stores we built it up into a database it had hierarchy structure it had really clean beautiful classifications and taxonomies it had standardized geographies it had a unique identifier for every mm. location and you take that and bounce it against a manufacturer's list and they've got duplicates they got misspellings they got you know alternate place they got a bunch of garbage and we cleaned it up for them cleaned it structured it and sent it back okay and kept it going the breakthrough was the unique code we had on every store became a lingua franca a common key between parties that was the huge breakthrough was seeing that if we had a unique identifier that people shared as a de facto standard then two systems could identify the same thing the same way, which is what people still want to do. Yeah. Only the scale is bigger, the you know scope is bigger, all the rest of it, but the essence of that value proposition is the same. And so this unique identifier, which that was the part I added. I branded it. I called it something. I positioned it. We worked, you know, it wasn't all me, but it was was, you know, the team we had and we went out and sold the hell out of it because we had a vision around it. We had a purpose for this little tiny unique identifier that was just in the database anyway. And we talked to a lot of customers who were starting to tell us stories about how they used it in ways that we hadn't thought of, took those ideas, took the non-competitive parts of those ideas because we did own the product, brought it to other folks, and we built a true network where every new participant added value to the rest of our clients, which is a unique ecosystem-like play. And we became this common language between parties in the consumer packaged goods space. That's pretty I, cool. Yeah, and it's still it's still there. There's TD Links is still there. That's the name of the product. It's part of Nielsen. It's kind of buried in there, but it still exists. 20 this was 1995 six, seven. Okay. So we're talking er, you know, pre when pre I was two, born. Pre 2K here. Okay. Yeah. And but a lot of these basic premise. So for me, the challenge was when we talk about the career, okay, how do I take this? experience I had and continue to make it relevant. I loved the space. I loved what people were doing with this. I was there for 15 years. So I had a great run. I left in the mid 20 teens and did some consulting to help people productize and find other ways to do the same thing. Because for the last phase of my career at Nielsen, I got spotted by the CEO, a new CEO came in from GE and was trying to find some innovative, you know, build an innovation team. He loved the story we had actually wrote to him and said, hi, we have a small business, but we got a great story. You got to hear about it. And this guy was awesome. Guy named Dave Calhoun, huge in my career. He's now running Boeing. So the guy's like world-class and he saw this stuff. He's like, all right, what other ideas do you have? I said, I think we can do this thing with standardized data and apply it to the other domains Nielsen's in. So, Nielsen has a list of television stations. It has a list of every program. It has a database of all the brands. It has actually more than enough databases of all the brands. So you started, I went across Nielsen, which was really a conglomerate of dozens and dozens of companies and started 
trying to understand, okay, what data did they have? What did they code? What did they sort? What did they manage? And what I looked for was the commonality. Mm. So if I had come from a, a group that managed store locations, all right, I'll go to another group that's in the media side. Okay, what do you track? We track movies. All right, what do you, do you have? What do you track? We have a database of movies. We have a unique code for every movie. We know the producer. We know the 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 distributor. We know the people in it. We mm. know what kind of movie it is. It's the same thing as what I did for stores, only it's about something different. The domain yeah. went into media. We have a list of every, you know, we got a database of every magazine, television, radio, website. We know that there are those different channels, right? Those are, those are um, different uh, uh, modes of media, however they categorize it. We know the ownership. We know the affiliates we have. So what started to happen was I noticed, and I do this today almost as instinct, but it took a while to kind of learn it for myself. You have a database. What's it? about okay in there there's unique identifiers there's hierarchies there's taxonomies and there's geographies unique identifiers make sure you don't have duplicates hierarchies parent-child relationship taxonomies category what kind of thing things are geographies you know where it is and you look across data and go when doesn't somebody want to know where something is what it is who owns it and that it's unique yeah you get those foundational parts. So again, I'm good at kind of like making that into something that it's memorable. So I call it the four C's code, company, category, and country. Boom. Mm. I wish I thought of that 20 years ago. I would have sold a lot more data. <laughs> That's the work I do. Try to, how to make that. You don't do a data model or off of my four C's, but you can explain it to a business person and say, this is what we got to start with. Okay. Yeah. Let's start with this basic, basic, basic foundational standardized structured stuff. Yeah. Take a breath. <laughs> that, yeah. That was a lot. I learned a lot. Um, <laughs> and, and something you said kind of made me also want to ask you another question that I didn't send over in the pre-show notes. Um, but, but one thing you said is, is we branded it really well. We just talked about the four C's, you know, very, very flashy, not flashy, but very simple, catchy thing that you can easily remember. Yeah. Uh, so this this podcast that I run, Data Career Podcast, obviously has a lot to do with, with data. You know, we talked about data governance. We talked a little bit about data science and analytics. But there's a second word there. There's the career aspect um, that I like to highlight. Um, and one of the things that I think is important and not talked about enough in career building is, is your personal brand. Um, and so I want to ask you, what, what role has branding and personal branding played a role in your career? You know, I'm just going to, I'll let you decide where to go with it, but I'll point out at least two things. One, the truth hat, right? That's, that's a staple. And yeah. two, the, the title, the data whisperer, that, those are two ways I've seen you use branding. How has branding affected your career? It's, 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 it's core. I wouldn't have one without it. I think I'd just be just sort of some guy at a big company. I've been branding myself just inherently. When I was at Nielsen, that's where it really started. So I didn't have the, you know, the same trappings, you know, the data whispers, fun. I've 
only picked that up a couple of years ago. Truth versus meaning. I started to play with that. And, you know, I got the truth that works on TV and, you know, on these podcasts, things like that. So that's wonderful. But just, and those are kind of labels to get really serious. What, you know, the outside of the package is kind of the branding. What, but what's the product? Can you really deliver? You got to have that too. I think a lot of people, I'll get to your question too, but just to mention maybe some advice is people focus a little bit too much on the trappings, on the labeling. Okay. Mm. Let me come up with a cool monic, you know, um, moniker like the data whisperer and, but you got to have something inside the box. Mm. <laughs> it's not just the label. So it's not just a gimmick. You know, I've seen, okay. I always wear orange socks. Okay. That's wonderful. How's that been going for you in COVID by the way, with your orange sock? <laughs> There's people like, and that's, you know, I respect that for what they do, but if there's not the guts of it, if you don't have a real intention and a reason for that, it's going to, it's not going to play. It's not going to, it's not going to really take off. Early in my career, I began to realize, all right, it came from sort of market some marketing stuff i wrote articles i had a column in a magazine back when people had columns in magazines and everybody wasn't published only some people you know the only people who were published were the people who the magazine wanted to publish right so yeah. i had a, a monthly column in that that began to really create a different sort of persona and what i recognized really quickly was when i was going into a sales call or a relationship call the fact they had read my article gave them certain preconceived notions that was part of branding. They understood at least before I met them what I stood for. I believe it's important for everyone. The rest of, I had a couple key salespeople and we did the same work for them. So they chose different niches that they could focus on, but we began, began to build their personal branding as well before personal branding was kind of more of a formal thing. I'm not saying I invented it in any way. We just kind of did it, right? We sort of did it. Now it's got a name. Yeah. When I went to, so at Nielsen, inside a company, you want to be known for something if you're ambitious and if you want, you know, a career, it's, I found it's important to be known for something. So I became the master data guy, the TV links guy, wherever we went, we had pins, we had little lapel pins that we gave customers, but we gave them to, we had a lot of good sort of the branding trappings down the marketing of it. When I went to D&B, I felt I had an objective to change the nature of how that company talks about a really important part of their business. I knew there's no way I could get the authority to do that. Mm. There's no way I could rise in that company fast enough, get the team that would report to me, get that kind of responsibility and accountability to say, this is what we're going to do because I'm in charge of it. I knew that was an impossibility. What I did instead was just try to build some influence, increase the influence. The story I had about what they did in master data was better than everything they were saying. That's why they hired me. They didn't even call it the right thing. I was dealing with marketing people who were telling me, well, we don't like this idea of master data. Can we call it something? I was like, it's not my idea. Okay. This is what it's called. This is, <laughs> yeah. we do everything we do in this space is great, except for how we talk about it. 
our own sales force doesn't really understand it. I had a key client three weeks into the job come to me and say, I know why I'm buying it, but they don't know why they're selling it to me. You don't ever want to be on the wrong part of that conversation. Yeah. So here was a company, iconic company, 175 years in the space, created in a lot of ways the basic tenets of syndicated master data, didn't even have the word on their website. So mm -hmm. I had a task in front of me. I was there for a thousand days, but who's counting? And and through kind of a really intensely focused branding effort internally created this story that people began to latch onto. I had salespeople calling me going like, this stuff's great. This is, you know, this is it. This nails it. I presented to the sales team kind of our new master data story and the typical DNBs. I don't care if DNBs on, that's fine. They know this anyway, whatever, you know, 50 slide decks, 70 slide, hundred slide deck. I started off and I said, okay, I've got the new pitch for you. It's 10 slides. They started to applaud already. I didn't even show them <laughs> like 10 slides. I said, the first one's hello. The last one's thank you. So it's really only eight. And in fact, you only need to know this one slide. If you have only one slide to do, do this one slide. It was the five pillars of what we did. It encompassed the entire thing, related it to their business, related it to the rest of our business took a lot of work to boil down because it's easy to do it in 20 slides. It's not easy to do it in one slide. And that became, you know, the, the, the way they, they still talk about it today. So the fact that master days on the D and B websites directly related to my influence there to try and get them to talk about, talk about what they already did in a way that people could understand it. Yeah. Wow. So, so it's been a big part of your life as and I used a lot of techniques. That's why I discovered video because I realized I can't, I'm not scalable. I've got mm. to communicate this to as many people as possible. 5,000 people worked there. Not that every one of them needed to know it. They had an extended network because they had global partners that also they worked with as a data consortium had to, who represented them in other countries, had to explain it to them. So I started doing these videos. I did road shows. I was all, I would talk to anybody about this. It was like, didn't matter who you were. I would talk about it. That's where I came up with the puppets. I started doing puppets at Dun & Bradstreet. Yeah. And uh, it was like, it's really hard. And there were plenty of people, most people loved it, but the advice I'd give anybody on this, if you try this kind of thing, there are people who are not going to like you. There are people who are going to go against you. There was somebody at Nielsen. I just realized at one point when I was at Nielsen, 24 hours a day, no matter where I am, somebody in the world is pissed off at me. <laughs> I can't let it get to me. You can't win everybody over. You want to yeah. win the right people over, but everybody isn't going to like it. And there were people at DB because I was trying to change the nature of how they talked about what they did, who were against the idea that I would be doing that. Yeah, that wasn't my role, apparently, or whatever. And that conflict can be pretty aggravating and 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 very distracting. But you just, you know, if you really believe in something, you got to keep at it. I think that I think that's good advice. I hope I hope everyone who's watching, you know, is still on. It's <laughs> <laughs> still alive. Just kidding. Um, but I hope you guys take that to heart. I mean, uh, you were doing that. You were doing puppets internally 
Yeah, they wouldn't let me do it externally. So I had a bee puppet, right? My ITB. If everybody hasn't seen my puppet show, you should watch the puppet show. So there's a character who's an ITB, but he started off as Dean B. Dean B. So you've got D and B, Dean B. Ah. Exactly. So that's the reaction I got. Company's been around for, you know, 175 years. Nobody ever thought of that. It was like hidden in plain sight. That's just like lying there. Dean, you need a mascot. They wouldn't let me show it externally. So the marketing department was like, no, you can't show this externally. You can't show this to any customers. You get you, blah, blah. And we'd sneak it out. But internally, <laughs> it was the highest ranking. It was the most viewed internal video, ab- even above like the executive team holiday greeting video, you know, which was mandatory to watch. And this thing just kind of took off internally. And it was hilarious. And that became part of my personal brand internally. So yeah. I would sign into zoom calls as dean b people called me dean people wore costumes there was a sales meeting in china where somebody dressed up as a b it just took off i do meetings people like did you bring the puppet so that was all part of my personal branding you know over dramatic pretty animated over the top kind of stuff but that preceded me to to sessions yeah and that helped for sure and it also helped me a lot with the people who are against me because I'm doing this stuff. It's really compelling. It makes a ton of sense. And I've got, you know, puppets and cartoons and things like that. That's very, it's very difficult to try and talk people down from not enjoying that. So yeah, it works. Yeah. Uh, Did you just like, one day think of that or like you're just like one day yeah i'm gonna try puppets and see yeah that was it was the 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 to get kind of dmb has this uh match grade they call it they take two records and they match them together okay and then they give you a score of how well it matched and that score was like 12 letters Uh and the different letters they have are like b z a f and they string it out, right? So I'm looking at this score and it's it's completely meaningless, okay? I can't believe they show this to clients and try to yeah. explain it to them because it's like, why do I need to learn your language? Yeah. But I'm looking at this thing and it says, the classic sort of example, if you said it out loud, which is kind of fun, it said a Bosby Fosby, okay? Uh, if you pronounce it, like a ridiculous thing to do. So I'm looking at that going, that's like what a B says. That would be a B. So I, I started... I'm trying to get them to tell the story differently. So I'm making fun of this. Yeah. And I put a little B character on the slide when I was talking about it, like an internal meeting. And then it's like, Oh, that character needs a name. And then it like hit me. Oh, Dean B, which was just, you know, I still get chills when I remember thinking like that just sort of comes to you, right. That sort of thing just comes to you. Then I knew I had to make that into some sort of character. Like, how do I animate this? Puppets are easier than cartoons. Yeah. I got some, you know, dramatic arts training in case you hadn't noticed. And so it just kind of went from there. And then I had an opportunity because they had an internal program where they wanted to do these videos. They wanted people to share videos on how to, how to be confident. Literally it was like, how do you be confident in DB? And so I did one of me straight about working in meetings and that sort of stuff. And then I did one that I just submitted with the B to HR I didn't give them any preamble, anything. And I sent it to the HR team who was running this. And it was just like, okay, what's going to happen? And I called, I called up a 
somebody I knew there and I said, oh, I just want to know if you got the video. She said, we're just screaming here. We can't believe this. We can't. And it was, it was filled because it was filled with D and B jokes. So it was yeah. total inside baseball gimmicks. I mean, tell already humor is a big part of what I do. And I'd come up with these little comments or snide remarks or things. And I started collecting them and then I could use them in this video. So it, it all kind of came together. It was not all right. Let me do a video with a puppet and be very <laughs> linear kind of planning uh -huh. so another life experience after, you know, however many decades is every idea you have may not be used right away. Every idea you have might not be an idea in it on its own. It might be part of something later. Jot them down, write them down. I'm an Evernote fanatic. They all go in there, put them in a bucket. And now I'm at a point where, okay, I've got to write a script for a B character for Dun and Bradstreet. I'm using all these jokes and I just kind of strung them together. <laughs> that, that's awesome. What a, what a cool story. Thank, thank you for sharing that. Sure. Um, <laughs> As we move into hour two of your, <laughs> your yeah. LinkedIn live. So. That's, that's true. We're, we're almost out of time, um, but I've definitely learned a lot. I'm just looking at my notes over here. Learned about data management, data governance. I think branding was a big thing that you've done an amazing job at your career. Um, you got to have a brand. You know, a brand is what the way I've described it to folks is like the products what's in your cart, but the brands what's in your heart. It's what you oh. make. It's how it makes you feel to use the premise of one of the greatest pitchmen and ever, ever one of my major superhero heroes, Don Draper of Mad Men, who at least when he's at work, when he's at home, he's not that heroic, but when he's at work, nobody pitches like Don Draper. And he always talks about, he opens up every pitch with some form of, it isn't about the thing. It's about how that thing makes you feel. And he always goes for that. And so branding is as much emotion. It's how it makes you feel about it. Otherwise it's just, you know, brown carbonated water or a sandwich or a car or, you know, a person you talk to, it's so much about that emotional element. And that's where a lot of connection happens with people is on the emotional level. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's a good lesson to take away. Um, I guess with the little bit of time we have left, what is next in the life of, of Scott Taylor? What are you up to right now? What are your, what are your plans in the future? Um, and then, and then we'll ask one final question and just about any advice you'd, you'd have to give to people after two, two decades of a data career. Even more than two decades. So what I'm doing now, I'm doing a couple of things. One, you know, the book last year was my major creative COVID project. I realized after toying with an idea about a book, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. I'm never going to, even though the lockdown wasn't as extended as we all thought it was going to be in the beginning, I just knew I am never going to get this kind of time again. All my yeah. events canceled. It's like, what do I, you know, I don't have any excuses. The only excuse I have now for not writing the book is, you know, I'm lazy slob. I won't do, you know, there was nothing left that could keep me from writing. So I just bear down and write it. So this year I'm doing a virtual book tour. I'm uh, presenting to 30, right now I'm up to 33 DEMA chapters. DEMA is the data, International Data Management Association They've got chapters all over the world. I did Wisconsin and New England today. I did two of them as webinars. I'm doing Uruguay and Ecuador next week. Um, I've done probably 
20 of them so far. I got more to do throughout the year and I'm scheduling. That's it's really fun. I do a session for them that's sponsored by my two sponsors, Wind Shuttle and, and, and Comma Group, who are kind of sponsoring the content I do. This year, my biggest creative project will be more puppets. So I've been talking about it for a while. If you talk to Kate and Susan, they're going to go, yeah, you've been talking about puppets, but I'm working on it. All those little ideas I told you about, they're all going into a bucket. I'm looking at them, what new characters I can come up with. I see crazy stuff going on in LinkedIn where somebody explains something in like a highly technical way. I grab that comment, stick it in my little Evernote and go, okay, I'm going to futz with that a little bit and make it into puppet dialogue because I could never come up with those words. So I've got a multi-episode puppet series coming that like it. Uh, would be a lot of work, but it's really, it's starting to shape up here. I got some guest voices and some different characters and it oh, would be awesome. a simple story. It's a story we all go through. It's just a bunch of folks at an enterprise. They want to make their data work and it doesn't. And how do they do it? They hire a consultant. They look at tools. They try and dabble in data science. They try and fix the culture and hilarity ensues in the, puppet, <laughs> the data puppet world. So more to come on that for sure. But that's my biggest project. And I've available got on Netflix yeah. soon. Is that, is that correct? I was on Netflix, but it'll be on LinkedIn and YouTube and you okay. know, even better Bearing on a device near you, but it's probably <laughs> fall by the time I get it all finished, but it'll be here in the, uh, in the studio. I've got a couple new characters I've bought. I've got to figure out how to dub people's voices in. Cause I don't expect some of these guest voices to be able to do their own puppet work. So I'm working uh, on that some green screen stuff. So I'm stretching a lot of myself technically on very this, cool, which is really fun. Yeah. I'm really, I can't believe I'm at this point that I can just do literally only the stuff that I found really fun in my whole career and just focus on that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And the advice I have is the same advice, you know, find what you're, find what you're good at. Fine. Really. I mean, if, if I had to look back, you know, tell my 20 year old self stuff, it would be probably two things. One, pack lighter. That's an important, no matter who you are, pack light. Okay. Like metaphorically or physically? Metaphorically, but also importantly, physically pack light. I'm still trying to get that right. <laughs> and if you can figure out what you're good at, really focus on it and try and lean into that. I look back and go, you know, I, I didn't realize kind of the, difference I could make. I didn't realize that I did comic strips for in sales when I was just a line salesperson. I found a mentor who did the same kind of creative stuff I did at one of these companies I worked at. And he and I, you know, I mean, he was delighted to find me. I was amazed to find him. But if I had kind of realized that that ability was as different as it ended up being, I would have focused more on it, I think in a way and really gotten to the point I am today earlier rather than dealing with some of the stuff I dealt with or trying to be kind of a manager of a business and dealing with the finance side. And I mean, all of those things are important. It's just not my skill set. So if you can find what you're really good at, man, lean into it and be as good at it as you possibly can. That's, that's awesome advice. So hopefully everyone watching, find what you're good at, lean into it. And you'll, you'll end up wearing a truth hat someday <laughs> or your on, version of that, whatever your version of that is. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I love it. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Scott, for joining us. 
Sure, this was a blast. Yeah, thank you. I wanted to make sure that we we read Robert's comment here. He says, buy Scott's book. Um, <laughs> right. which is what happens when I met Francis Ford Coppola, a great iconic storyteller who I met at a data conference. So it was a there convergence of so many things together. So if you didn't have a reason to buy telling your data story now, now you have a reason. I asked uh, Francis Ford Coppola, what makes a good story? Oh, that, that, that makes sense. And we can catch you at the Master Data Marathon end of September, right? right. Or, on okay. LinkedIn, or on YouTube or soon on the MetaMeta Consulting website where I'm putting literally everything I've done over the last couple of years. It's really exciting. All these videos, podcasts, interviews, blogs, both sides of the mic, puppet shows, cartoons. Got to put it all someplace because LinkedIn is kind of transitory. Yep. And uh, yeah, I think i just doing this for people. If they want help in this kind of stuff, buy the book, reach out to me. Whatever, okay. whatever it helps. Everybody's got a story to tell. Got to tell it. That's true. That's true. Well, well, awesome. Thank you, Scott. Thanks to everyone who is listening. I know Jared and Robert and owner. Uh, thank you guys for your comments and we'll catch you guys. I actually, I'll be on LinkedIn live later tonight doing ask Avery show. So I'll see okay. you guys later tonight. <laughs> All, right. All right. Thanks everyone. Thank you Bye. so much. Man. All right. Cheers. With that, the podcast episode is over. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you are enjoying this podcast, please give us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. And also send it to someone else, a coworker, a friend, a family member that is interested in data or interested in, in career building. That would be greatly appreciated. As always, if you haven't checked it out, please go to datacareerjumpstart.com. This is my new course that I'm launching and aim to help data or help professionals transfer their careers into data careers. It's going to be an awesome course, data science bootcamp, very comprehensive at a fraction of the cost of a master's degree or regular data science bootcamp. So I'm really excited about this project. Uh, go check it out, datacareerjumpstart.com and send it to someone that you think might be interested in having a data career. Until the next episode, guys, see you later. Bye-bye.